What's up, everybody? Are you tuning in to the Challenge USA on CBS? Well, tune in to me, Tyson Apostle, as I break down each and every episode with my co-host, Amelia Wedemeyer. I'm also a contestant on the show, which gives you all the insider scoop. Amelia, how stoked are you to do this? Tyson, I'm freaking excited. I cannot wait to sit my butt down every single week to watch the show, then come here and recap it with you on the Ringer Reality TV podcast. This episode is brought to you by Canva. Better presentations are possible. You just need Canva presentations. With it, you can easily and quickly make stunning slides. All you have to do is start with one of Canva's professionally designed templates or generate slides with AI. Then add graphs, charts, and more from the massive media library, and you're done. It's that simple. I always think that the best use of AI in work is it does the thing that you naturally aren't very good at. And personally, one thing I'm really terrible at is making visual presentations. I'm not very visually inclined. I'm not good at picking out you know, photographs or abstract conceptual images to go with ideas I'm trying to put forward in presentations. So it's kind of nice to have an AI-powered tool that can help me make these presentations in literally seconds. Nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibly listed at indeed.com slash plain. Just go to indeed.com slash plain right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Today, I want to begin with a quote. Every few years, American politics astonishes you. Yesterday was one of those days. End quote. That's how the Atlantic journalist Robinson Meyer began his report on the climate deal compromise between Senator Joe Manchin and Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Last week, in a move that seemed to shock literally everybody, not just journalists who've been following the story closely, but fellow senators as well, the two men unveiled a bill that would reduce the deficit, lower healthcare costs, and most importantly for our purposes today, invest record-breaking sums in clean energy infrastructure. And when I say record-breaking sums, what I mean is this. This is the biggest green energy investment bill in American history. It would be the single biggest one-off green energy investment in European history. Now, it's still just a bill. It's not a law. It's not a policy. It could be revised. It could be changed. It could be scuttled. So I don't want to get entirely over our skis here, but in a, a summer of climate doom, with record-breaking heat and droughts, fires throughout Europe, we are looking at a possible extraordinary leap forward. So what's in the bill? What would it actually do to the economy? How could it realistically transform the world? Today's guest is Atlantic journalist Rob Meyer. This mini-episode is our breakdown of the bill, but more than a cold explanation, I want to provide context. 
the history of American environmentalism is so often a history of disappointment and doom and failure, but it is marked by significant successes. And we have to cherish and celebrate and point to them without leaning into hyperbole or Pollyannish thinking. So if you're looking for a real glimmer of hope on the climate horizon, I would encourage you to keep listening. I'm Derek Thompson. This is Plain English. Robinson Meyer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Excellent. Uh, Before we get into details, I want to just set up the context here. Uh, Joe Manchin has been bete noir of liberal environmentalists for many, many years. America in general has been a laggard in national clean energy policy for many, many years. So for Joe Manchin to be the linchpin of a major national clean energy legislation is pretty shocking to a lot of people. Uh, I know that one of those people is you, You were up until about 4 a.m. last night pouring over this thing to absorb all the details. So before we get into the details, just tell me to start, like to quote our big president, uh, how much of a big effing deal is this? (laughs) It is quite a big effing deal. I mean, I think it is the, the bill, if it passes, and we have to attach that, if only because climate people, you know, we're, we've been dragged, we've been, we've been, uh, Trick so many times, you know, you have to protect that core part of yourself and say, if it passes, if it passes, it would be an absolute landmark. Um, It would be the largest investment that the United States has ever made in fighting climate change. It would be the largest investment that any European, that any Western country has ever made in fighting climate change. And arguably the largest investment ever from any country in fighting climate change. But it's a little hard to say with how China and India do their accounting. However, it is a big, big effing deal. I mean, it's the kind of thing where uh, yesterday, you know, even before it came out, I, I got a call or right after it came out, but when we didn't have any details yet. I got a call from Sam Ricketts, who used to advise Governor Jay Inslee of Washington, who ran an entire climate-focused presidential campaign on climate change. This was Inslee's climate advisor. And he picks up the phone and just starts talking and is like, this is it. We did it. This is the real <laughs> victory. He said, I struggle to find enough superlative, superlatives to describe this deal. Um, it is the kind of if it passes again, if it passes, it would be, it's the kind of victory that people just call you up on the phone and want to immediately start, start, uh, being effusive over. All right. Well, now I have to imagine that a lot of people's appetites have been whetted to figure out exactly what is in this deal that is making all these environmentalists salivate. Uh, let's go through three major components. Uh, number one, incentives for utilities and developers. What is in the bill? What does it look like? And tell me why it's so important. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say the centerpiece of this bill from a climate perspective is the set of tax credits that go to utilities, developers, states and cities, anyone who produces electricity and sells it to Americans on the grid. Um, And what that what those tax credits do is they encourage the production, they, they encourage investment in and the production of zero carbon electricity. And I think what's quite 
there's two things I would really call out about these tax credits that are that are important. The first is that, you know, I think listeners will recognize we've had tax credits like this for some time. You know, they've heard about maybe a solar tax credit or a wind tax credit. If they're really wonky, an advanced nuclear tax credit that goes back to the Bush administration. But what all those tax credits had in common was that they um, called out specific technologies. The new set of policy, which is in this bill, applies to any zero carbon electricity generation or um, production technology, you know, wind, solar, geothermal, advanced nuclear, uh, carbon capture, uh, uh, burning, uh, I don't know, uh, something renewable that we haven't even thought of yet. (laughs) Um, uh, It applies to any of those. And it says basically whatever is the most cost efficient way to produce electricity in your area. we are going to either help you invest in it or help or actually subsidize the production of that electricity, whatever is the most efficient way for you. Um, The other thing that's really important about these tax credits um, compared to previous policies is that every previous subsidy we've had like this has phased out in five years or six years or two years and Congress has to get back together and extend them and it's a whole process. These tax credits extend to at least 2032 or until when the electricity sector is 75% decarbonized compared to its all-time peak. So these are permanent technology-neutral tax credits that are meant to drive the carbon out of the power sector. Wow. So the second big component that I want to talk about is this set of policies that seem like they have a shot at revitalizing manufacturing in the U.S. within the space of clean energy. So tell me a little bit about this second component. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, people at this point are used to hearing that Congress is trying to bring back manufacturing. This is something yeah, that that's an old lots of presidents have tried, right? This bill actually contains the level of investment necessary to do that. Um, and it directs that investment toward industries that the U.S. doesn't need to, like, regain footing in, like steel or autos, but in industries that are just getting built now where we can develop a competitive advantage that kind of will extend out into the future. So that's clean hydrogen, that's carbon capture technology, that's advanced nuclear, and that's also developing a domestic solar industry. I think what people don't understand is that the U.S. Ha- hasn't failed often, especially on things like solar, because our labor is more expensive than China's in comparison to China. It's because the Chinese government subsidizes uh, domestic supply chains and makes it very easy for big manufacturers to get loans. That's the kind of policy that the U.S. is now finally doing in these bills. And number three, let's talk about the subsidies for consumers. So like if I, Derek, am interested in like greening my lifestyle, if that's a verb that is ever used by people, uh, <laughs> if I, 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 I want to make my lifestyle less carbon intensive. Maybe now, maybe um, now it will be, yes. yeah, There we go, popularizing made up verbs. Um, I want to decarbonize my lifestyle, but I'm waiting on the federal government to give me money to do the right thing by the planet. What are the goodies that I get if this bill passes? There's really two sets of goodies here that you're that the bill's going to dole out. The first is in transportation. It's going to have very large, uh, potentially very large subsidies for EV purchases. Um, they go up to $7,500, depending on how the EV is made and income level for a new car truck. And there's also, for the first time ever, going to be a used EV subsidy. So you could get up to $4,000 to buy a used EV. There's never been a policy like that in the U.S. That's quite a big deal, um, especially when you think about how many people buy used cars as their main car. Um, 
including me. <laughs> um, uh, the second set of policy, the second set of consumer subsidies here are for everything in people's houses that touch the fossil fuel system. So that's um, heaters, uh, gas stoves, even potentially inefficient air conditioners. There's a set of policies in this bill that is are meant to help people move to say using heat pumps, which are all electric instead of heaters, which run on oil or gas to moving to using induction stoves, which are all electric rather than gas stoves. Um, those are subsidies that consumers will feel when they go in to make these purchases. And they're meant to encourage someone to say, if they're replacing the HVAC system in their house, to go buy a heat pump next time or a very efficient uh, air conditioner rather than a, a gas powered heater. This episode is brought to you by Canva. Here's a writing tip for work. Don't just write. Use Canva Docs. It has Magic Write, a built-in AI text generator powered by OpenAI to help you create almost anything, from meeting agendas to job descriptions, marketing plans, proposals, and more. Canva is here to help you get it done. If you've used AI for work, for writing, for coming up with bullet points for a podcast, a meeting, you know that AI works best when you're specific, when you tell AI exactly what you want and then tell it again and again, help me do this, help me talk like this kind of person. The more specific you can be, the more helpful you'll find it is. Generate your draft fast with Canva Docs at canva.com, designed for work. This episode is brought to you by KPMG. The people at KPMG make the difference for their clients, talented teams leveraging the right technology to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity. KPMG teams together with their clients working shoulder to shoulder to help grow and transform their enterprise. Are you ready to make the difference together? Go to visit.kpmg.us backslash transformation to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. What's the most important thing in this bill that could potentially affect some of the further out clean tech technologies like carbon capture, carbon removal? Um, you know, these are things like, I mean, maybe next generation nuclear. There's like a set of technologies that are mildly futuristic, right? You can't immediately deploy them right now the same way that I can just like put, you know, a solar panel on my roof tomorrow. Um, does this bill do anything in terms of laying the groundwork for those further out tech? It does. So, so 
you know, the the bipartisan infrastructure bill that passed last year contained a lot of money to help exactly those kinds of industries do kind of first-time one-off demonstration projects. Big, expensive investments that we really need the government to help you do the first time. What there wasn't in the infrastructure bill was support to help those companies move past those first big demonstration projects to becoming fully scaled, you know, large industries. That's the kind of support that exists in this bill. And what I think is most important in, you know, the Manchin-Schumer bill on that front is what's being called a clean tech accelerator, but is actually kind of a big bank in the government. And what it could let the government do is intervene with companies at almost any stage and say, hey, how do you need help to keep growing at this stage? You know, you work in an industry that we think is important for the economy or for, or for national security. Uh, maybe it's very hard for you to get customers. Maybe it's very hard for you to get a very cheap loan. This is actually a kind of support that Tesla got early in its growth from the Affordable Care, uh, from the Rescue Act during the Obama, Obama administration, but that has kind of phased out after that act died. This will now bring it back at a higher level and let kind of more companies achieve that Tesla level scale with similar help. So if I'm trying to summarize a bill like this or the environmental part of the Inflation Reduction Act, um, it seems like this these policies make it more cost attractive for companies to invest in clean energy and more cost attractive for consumers to go clean as well, whether it's through EVs or induction stovetops. There's kind of another theory of environmentalism, which is that rather than incentivize people and companies to move toward cleaner tech, we should focus on punishing the dirty stuff, right? That's what a carbon tax does. That's what cap and trade to a certain extent does. That's what ramping up regulations for coal would do. Is this really a bill of all carrots and no sticks in clean tech? Yeah, I think there's, first, I just have to call out uh, something quite interesting about this bill, which is look how far it's gotten by being so largely constituted of carrots. And when we talk about, you know, previous, the, the BTU tax, which was kind of an early proto-carbon tax during the Clinton administration or cap and trade during Obama, these the last time that, uh, you know, a Democratic Congress and a Democratic president have tried to fix climate change, they've been much more stick-heavy uh, policies and they haven't gotten a through, right? <laughs> Joe Manchin didn't support them. And, I Turns mean, out grandma's in, in, old, yeah, grandma's old thing, you can catch more flies with honey than vinegar, turned out to be uh, extremely predictive for 21st century environmentalist policy developments. Exactly. So I think I would just call that out as, as in this long running debate about environmental policy, what's more effective carrots and sticks? Well, we're farther along with this mostly, you know, this 90% carrot bill than we've ever been with a climate bill before. And it hasn't passed yet, but it's still worth noting. Um, you're absolutely right, though, that there are this, this bill is mostly carrots. Uh, there's two things. There's two sticks, though, that are worth mentioning. Um, the first is that it contains what's called a methane reduction fee and is really just a methane tax on oil and gas companies that release methane from their drilling wells, from their pipelines, from any of their infrastructure. Um, as listeners may know, methane is not CO2, but it is a very potent greenhouse gas. And while it doesn't last as long in the atmosphere as uh, CO2 does, it's extremely more powerful while it is there. And actually, a lot of the climate change we're feeling right now is caused by methane. So 
this bill charges polluters actually hundreds, sorry, this bill charges oil companies hundreds of dollars if they release methane into the atmosphere uh, by accident. Um, that's quite a big stick and it will drive some real innovation in the in industry, I think. Uh, there's another part of this bill that I think is almost a ghost stick that hasn't been talked about as much, which is at the same time the Biden administration is trying to regulate climate change through Congress and push along this bill, it is also working on these rules in the Environmental Protection Agency, you know, in the EPA, to regulate carbon uh, pollution from power plants and cars. Every EPA rule has to pass a cost-benefit analysis. It has to show that its benefits exceed its cost to the economy. That's just one of the requirements that any piece of regulation has to meet in the U.S. But the way that analysis comes together, basically any spending that Congress does, any of these tax incentives or subsidies that we're talking about, are like free money. They're like a, the government putting its finger, it's really, it's like whole arm on the benefit side of the equation. And the EPA just gets to count all that for free. And what that means in practice is that the EPA is going to be able to adopt much, much more aggressive environmental regulations um, on both carbon and also on conventional air pollution than it would otherwise. And that's a big stick. Just a tiny question about the second ghost stick that has to do with the EPA. Does the recent Supreme Court decision have any bearing on the EPA's ability to go forward with this kind of regulation? I, I don't want to do a whole thing on the intersection of <laughs> jurisprudence and the administrative state. Like that's another 17 episodes, but like, yes, yes. Is, is, is that a, is there a bump there? Um, uh, you know, listeners should know we, we, we meant for this conversation the last 10 minutes and here we are. Um, <laughs> uh, the short answer about the recent Supreme Court decision is it does curtail some of what the EPA was going to do on climate, but in some ways it curtails kind of the Biden administration's larger executive powers more than it really limits the EPA's actions on climate. And that's because the Supreme Court case was actually about this Obama-era clean power rule that never went into effect. And one of the reasons it never went into effect was that it was very, very complicated. And that's part of what the court was cracking down on in the ruling. I think regulators already, you know, climate people already learned from that defeat in a way, even before the court said anything. And we're planning much, much more simple, straightforward uh, and, and frankly, more costly rules, less efficient rules this time around um, than they tried in the Obama administration. For that reason, I think the EPA, the EPA ruling from the Supreme Court is in some ways like worse for kind of the rest of Biden's agenda than it actually is for climate stuff alone. That's interesting. So I, I want to end sort of looking at this from the long view, um, what the legacy of this bill might look like in 2030, 2035. And it's interesting because this is a season of, of both tragedy and hope in the environmentalist space. You have your, Europe like literally on fire, like Southern Europe, like literally burning while all of Northern Europe hits uh, temperatures not reached in recorded history. You have an energy crisis in Europe with uh, the, the Russian war in Ukraine. Um, you have high energy prices in the US and people really, really piss at the administration. Um, but you also have potentially you know, asterisk, asterisk, potentially, this extraordinary bill, which is the largest investment in clean energy in the history of this country and maybe any other country on the planet. Um, optimistically, looking back from 2035, how might we look at the legacy of a bill like this? 
It's entirely possible we could look back at this bill in 2030 or 2035 and say, oh my gosh, look at how much of the economy really came into its own and, and was affected by this bill and how many industries that would not have existed in the United States uh, are now thriving here. Um, just as we, you can look at Tesla's success and say, you know, it's very hard for to imagine Tesla being what it is today without the Recovery Act of 2009. You're going to be able to look at a lot of companies around the country and say, wow, we wouldn't have this advanced nuclear company. We wouldn't have this solar company. We wouldn't have uh, uh, this this hydrogen company or this revitalized steel making company if we if it w- wasn't for this bill. I think the U.S. could install mostly U.S.-made solar panels and solar panels and wind turbines where the whole supply chain came happened in the U.S. Um, you know, it's possible you could go to the beach, look out at the ocean and see wind turbines generating clean energy that makes your car, your electric car go, right? I mean, that's the, that's the world that is actually much, much, much more imaginable now. It's possible now in a way that it was not possible before this bill. Well, look, man, you're a really discerning analyst of environmentalism and green policy. And I hope this is not just your sleep deprivation causing a kind of, you know, (laughs) wild and unrealistic optimism. But uh, I I love it. Sounds like abundance to me. (laughs) We'll revisit this in 15 years. Um, Rob Meyer, thank you very much, man. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Derek Thompson. That was Plain English. Thanks very much to our producer, Devin Manzi. If you have any questions, comments, ideas for future episodes, please shoot us an email at plainenglish at spotify.com. That's plain, no space, English at spotify.com. And don't forget to check out our new, beautiful TikTok page. You can find us at plainenglish underscore. Yes, that's at plainenglish underscore and we'll see you on the TikToks. Thanks very much. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.